it's two puzzle pieces. One is white, and the other one is a rainbow flag. And they said the white represents the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and the LGBT puzzle piece represents the LGBT community, and we're showing there's a place for both. As a young mother, I experienced a paradigm shift that transformed how I saw education and ultimately the world around me. I started this podcast, The Luminous Mind, to connect with and learn from people who are disrupting the status quo in how they learn, educate, and live in the world around them. Prepare for a paradigm shift. Light a candle, light your world. Benjamin Franklin said, instead of cursing the darkness, light a candle. You're listening to The Luminous Mind with your host, Rebecca Bowman. Today's Firestarter is Dennis Slyker. Dennis is the author of Is He Nuts? Why a Gay Man Would Become a Member of the Church of Jesus Christ. Dennis is a writer, a lifestyle reporter, crisis counselor, network marketer, and motivational speaker. Dennis is Vice President and Publicity Director of Connecticut's Authors and Publishers Association. He has a degree in essential oils, chemistry, and pharmacology, and is the host of the cable show, The Art of Aromatherapy. Dennis currently works as a network marketer, helping others to achieve financial success through creating residual income. Dennis has worked at several Fortune 500 companies, including working as a regional sales manager representing a million-dollar territory within the professional beauty industry. It is through his work experience that he has learned to effectively communicate with others and achieve his future goals. At age 17, Dennis appeared on seven talk shows, including Larry King Live and Sally Jesse Raphael, after being a victim of a brutal hate crime that occurred in his high school. It is because of this that he now volunteers as a crisis counselor. Dennis now serves as a ward mission leader for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He assists sisters and elders throughout New England to better understand how to work and deal with the LGBTQ community by creating a better understanding among all people. Welcome, Dennis. Welcome, Rebecca. This is exciting to be here today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have Dennis join us. If you haven't read Dennis's book, which is called Is He Nuts? Why a Gay Man Would Become a Member of the Church of Jesus Christ. Um, We'll continue that of Latter-day Saints. Uh, You definitely need to because uh, like his website says, it's a story about love. So it doesn't matter really what your religion or your faith background is or even your sexual orientation or gender or race or anything. You're going to find love in that read because that's what I found. But before we learn more about your book, please tell our audience a little bit more about yourself. Well, Rebecca, um, to start, I'm probably one of the last people in the world who would have ever thought joining the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You know, I was thinking my life was happy, and I was, you know, um, I've been gay my whole life, as long as I can remember, since I was born. And I was always... um, you know, assumed different things about our religion that I really, um, now I'm embarrassed by, you know, <laughs> because, you know, I, I would, I was the one that made of, of members of our church, or I was one that, that would put down members of our church or say they're weird or it's an occult or it's 
something it wasn't. And, and you know, doing firesides and devotionals around the world, it, it's just, it's, it's members of our church that have taught me I am loved and I'm a child of God. And that's something that now I've repented for. And, you know, it's something that I, you know, if you would have asked me when I was baptized if I was going to be on this journey of, you know, doing devotionals and firesides all over the world, I would have said, you're nuts. You know, <laughs> I didn't join the church for this. So, you know, I hope that gives you some background of myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I'd love to, you know, let's share with the audience a little bit more about maybe your childhood. Um, I was telling Dennis, I think it's awesome because we're only about a year apart. And so a lot of his struggle that he went through, you know, all of his, I mean, to finding out you're gay, to your um, hate crime attack, all that stuff. I lived through those times with you. So I could really relate to kind of how times have changed over the past or, you know, over, yeah, over the past. But um, I'd love to hear like more of your, maybe your family story and stuff that kind of led you towards this life's mission and message that you have. Yes. So, um, you know, when I came out, it was, you know, it was 1989. Um, 1989 was an era that, you know, you just didn't come out. It was just very, um, you know, you had to, I thought, you know, in order to be gay, um, you had to be extremely effeminate or extremely unattractive because you couldn't get a woman or you couldn't, you know, get mm -hmm. married to a woman. And that was my view. And I had no other perception. And I was brought up with, you know, a mother who was, uh, um, you know, she started out as, you know, a, a very much to the New Age movement. And, you know, her best friend was Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. She wrote the books on death and dying and, and what any doctor studies and nurse um, studies to become, you know, in their profession. And she was a Nobel Prize winner. And it was just something that that was my mother's best friend. And then my mother quickly switched to being a born again Christian, a fundamentalist born again Christian, like a Billy Graham crusade or, you know, that of, you know, of hooting and hollering and, and Jesus save me and Dennis, you're going to go to hell, or, or you know, God's going to strike you dead for for your sexual orientation and who you are, and and God doesn't love you for being who you are because you're a sinner, and that was what I dealt with for many, many, many years, and it was actually members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints of all people, after many years of searching, that said, Dennis, hold it right there, you are loved, God loves everybody. And I burst it down. I was in tears. I, I was, I was like, I, I couldn't handle, you know, I, I hadn't heard that for years. I hadn't heard somebody tell me that I am loved for years, and it was members of our church. Yeah. Well, and I, I love the story, too, how you talk about just wanting your parents to be proud of you, kind of like they were with your brother, you know, and, and in his profession stuff. And you were just equally as successful or more successful in some ways. And, and they kind of withheld that love just based off of that sexual orientation. You know, in your bio, we read you went on Larry King Live and Sally, Jesse, Raphael, and a lot of other different talk shows talking about the hate crime that happened to you in high school. Is that like the beginning of your LGBTQ advocacy? Or did that come from a different place? That was probably the beginning, and it was one of those things, when I was attacked in my public high school by 15 students, and five were initiating the attack, and I was, you know, brutally, brutally attacked to the point where, till this day, I cannot use a urinal in a men's room because I'm, I'm fearful of, I'm going to the temple, I'm, trying, I'm working on this, you know, but <laughs> I'm fearful of somebody 
you know, um, punching me from behind. And it's just something that is, you know, I guess made me or catapulted me as uh, as an advocate for the LGBT community. And, and back when I was growing up, it wasn't, you know, LGBTQ plus, it was you were gay, straight or bisexual. Okay. And there wasn't all these acronyms that you had. And, and so, you know, when I was told by my high school social worker that 57% out of all the uh, crimes that occur in a public high school were over sexual identity issues and that 33% of all suicides were over sexual identity issues, that's when I stood up straight and said, I need to do this. I need to go on national television. I need to, you know, share my, my story of being a victim of a brutal bashing. That was what, I guess, catapulted me as, into the, the limelight, if you may, back in the late 80s, early 90s. And, and it's not what I would have expected. I mean, I spent many years, you know, saying, this is not me. You know, I just want to find a quiet place to worship. I don't want to be this advocate for the LGBT community. And, and it just kind of happened where it was needed at the time. And then, you know, in the mid-90s is when I kind of pulled back and I stopped doing the advocacy work because I just felt that it wasn't really who I was. Oh, I think it's amazing that you did that at such a young age, especially given the fact that your parents weren't supportive. I mean, your mother somewhat outed you and then ended up, I mean, that's the whole thing with the attack that I thought was interesting. You hadn't even really came out. You were still struggling with uh, how you were feeling about it anyway. And these boys had just decided that based on whatever to attack you. That's where I just find it so incredible that you were so strong to do that. Um, Well, I was just going to say that, yes, I mean, I was outed and I was not protected by my school. And I think that that has a lot to do with the time and the era, you mm -hmm. know, that it happened in the school just didn't know what to do with me. So I think you were just about ready to ask me about something that I did when I committed a sin before <laughs> yeah. I was a member of the church. Yeah, your life of crime. <laughs> so, so yes, yeah, my life of crime. Yeah. So yeah, was it really true that you actually stole your first Book of Mormon? Yes, I did. I stole the Book of Mormon. So let's let's rewind a little bit back. You know, in the uh, late '90s, early 2000s, I was traveling a lot for work and. I was told to stay in a Marriott because they have the best rewards program, but I was told they're owned by the Mormons, so don't ever support them any other way because the Mormons are the largest haters of, you know, gay and lesbians, and they're very homophobic, and I was told that they have multiple wives, and, <laughs> um, which the irony of that story is, you know, my parents' biggest concern when I told them that I was going to be, or when I was asked by the church to write a book, or when I went out to Utah to do four months worth of devotionals and firesides. When I said goodbye to my parents, I said, what are your concerns? And my father looked at me and said, well, son, don't come home with a greyhound full of husbands. <laughs> and I'm like, you haven't wanted me to be gay. <laughs> yeah. Now you're like worried. I'm going to come home with multiple husbands. Like seriously, you know, That's not so true, dad, you know, um, and it was funny because a lot of my friends in the church were like, yeah, you know, my husband will get on a bus or, you know, or everyone was like, yeah, I'll get on a bus with you. And I'm like, no, we're not adding to the stereotype. What am I going to do? Introduce these people as, oh, hi, this is Peter, James and John. You know, like, so now let's fast forward a little bit. Um, I work as a professional network marketer for a company in Lehigh, Utah, and I work for myself and we merged with another company and, and 
I was a full-time network marketer, and I loved it because I was, you know, always giving away, you know, cruises and cars and, and, and stuff. And so my company had merged, and I was, we were with another company, and I, I flew out to Utah to put my name on this company and to do a video for my leaders and with the doctors and stuff in, in the network marketing company. And I was invited to go to Hilcomore, uh, to Palmyra, with some friends or some people I knew from, that worked in my corporate office. And they were newlyweds, and I'm thinking, you know, what on earth did they want to invite me to Palmyra for? I don't want to go to these Mormon historical sites. You know, I don't want to look at these, you know, what do people do in upstate New York anyway? Like, I don't want to go there. So I cordially said yes, but I was thinking in the back of my mind, how am I going to get out of this? So I stole the Book of Mormon on June 19th, 2017. I returned from Hilcomore on July 19th, and I was baptized on August 19th. Wow. But when I had originally stolen the Book of Mormon, I was doing it out of despite. I was saying, well, if they're going to want me to go to these Mormon historical sites and see these, you know, you know, historic sites, I'm not paying for this book. You know, that is the most racist, homophobic religion. And so I purposely threw the book in my bag and said, I'm going to seal this because anybody that steals scripture isn't going to be able to be baptized in the church. (laughs) So little did I know it was meant to be taken, but it further tells me, you know, when I do my firesides, never judge a book by its cover, you know, until you you know, I've repented so much, Rebecca, for the many times I've slammed the doors in missionaries' faces, and now I'm a ward mission leader, and I have an unofficial calling of working with missionaries around the world. And I do anywhere from 10 to 18 home teachings a week, and I am just like, missionaries are like my children that I've never had, and, and I will do anything to protect them. And I will do anything to make sure they're safe or they have meals or their calendars are filled. And to think about how I treated, you know, members or or even people would say, was it the dedication of the Hartford Temple that caused you to be baptized? And I'd be going, oh, goodness, no. (laughs) I was driving by that building going, you know, I want to start an LGBT protest because I was so saying, what on earth are people doing to line up to go to, to these white tents and to go to this racist, homophobic church? Again, I would see the documentaries on YouTube, or I would see the specials on HBO, and I would assume things without knowing everything about members of our church, which is now myself. I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I love how you said never judge a book by its cover. I've listened to another you know, interview with you, and you talked about how you've judged a lot, like Al Caraway, for instance, you know, that she's this tattooed Mormon. That, oh, um, big lesson. <laughs> you know, that, and, and that's really true, but the, the Book of Mormon's the same way, that a lot of people make assumptions about yeah. what it's about, but then come to find out it, it's a very powerful book that can help change our oh. lives. It's, it's, it's huge. I just had the opportunity last Tuesday to meet with the general authority, and I was in the same building as the prophets, our prophet and apostles. And I'm telling you, Rebecca, it was like being in a temple. It was so peaceful. And I said to the general authority, I would have never expected out of the almost 17 million members we have, how many people get the opportunity to come in here. And on top of that, I never would have expected it would have been myself, ever. 
And about, you know, judging people is, yes, I was very judgmental of Al Caraway, and I, you know, was given her book or asked to read her book when I was in Palmyra, New York, and I'm looking at it going, why on earth do I want to read about some tattooed woman for? I'm scared <laughs> of needles. I don't want hepatitis. And I haven't even read the stolen book of Mormon yet. And, and I judged her many, many for almost a year and you know i my friends andrew and audrey would send me you know video clips with her and i delete them or they would they even sent me a selfie video with al caraway saying hi dennis this is al caraway sending love and light your way and i'm going why on earth are they sending me that for you know who knew she would write the foreword for my book and that she would be one of my best friends that if I'm having trouble with the adversary, I can call or text her and she'll be right there because she knows what it's like. And us converts seem to have it a little different sometimes where, you know, when the adversary doesn't want us to do good, he's going to do everything to stop us. Yeah. And Al Caraway has been very instrumental in my life. And I couldn't imagine my life without a friend like that. Well, and her foreword is like a glove to your book because it fits the message so well. I mean, like I said, on your your website, you talk about how, uh, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, your religion or whatever, that you'll find love. And that's what Al's message is all about, that she went through kind of the same struggles you did, uh, being different and then, you know, coming into the church. And, and there's been some judgment from members um, about her as well. But at the same time, she has that message of love for everybody. And uh, it just fits yeah. so well with uh, the message of your book. She's the number one sought after LDS devotional speaker. There's a two year wait to get in with her. And that I think speaks volumes, you know, that the power that she has to share with people. It's just amazing. Her message, you know, um, I was dealing with, uh, she has a new book out called Wildly Optimistic, and she actually texted me the entire book because I was having a rough time in, in April. And she had sent it to me, and I was on the phone with our church publisher, and I said, oh my gosh, Al's new book is amazing. I never thought she could beat more than the Tattooed Mormon, but she did it with Wildly Optimistic. And the publisher was like, uh, we haven't even gotten it yet. What do you mean you read it? <laughs> like, and I'm like, whoops. Like, you know, I didn't mean to get her in trouble, but... Um, Anyways, awesome. again, never judge a book by its cover. Oh, that's great. Well, and I'd love to hear the follow-up story of the Stolen Book of Mormon. I just saw on Facebook or on Instagram that there's actually um, some good that came out of your days of crime in the Marriott Hotels. <laughs> so, well, those days of crime are over because that's the last thing I've stolen. And, you know, I now follow the commandments. But, um Yes. I was driving home from Utah last week, and I was staying in Des Moines, Iowa, and the regional manager became aware that I'm the Izzy Nuts guy and that I'm the gay convert and I stole a Book of Mormon. And he was so excited that he actually offered me a free room. He said, are you driving through Columbus, Ohio? I'll put you up for free. So he was you know, when I checked in, everyone was like, oh, you're the, the one who stole the Book of Mormon. That's great. We have a suite ready for you. So, I mean, who steals something and gets rewarded for it? You know, it's like heavens. So, yeah, it, I look at it now and it's so used and, and abused because I, you know, have it color coded based on scripture and missionary lesson plans. And, and in the front I have, if lost, please call or text with my name and iPhone number. And I said, we'll pay money. And I have that highlighted. Wow. <laughs> That's awesome. This cannot be replaced. 
Yeah. Well, we talked about kind of your beliefs and opinions of the LDS faith based off of what you had Googled or what people had told you. How do you feel like your upbringing, you know, we often hear that the LDS faith is a cult. Do you see that your parents' involvement in that highly legalistic religion, that you were the butt of all of that, um, I don't know, expecting you to be different, do you think that that helped you see the Mormon faith as a different religion based off of, I mean, do you feel like God was preparing you for the church through that experience, I guess? I, I believe that everything happens for a reason, and I also feel that because my parents pushed me away from organized religion for so, so long, when I say I'm the last person in the world you would have ever expected would have joined the Church of Jesus Christ, I am. Because, and I also know that, I, I tell people all the time, I didn't join a church organization, I joined a family, because I know through LDS tools and through you know, our church, the way I've been pounced on in a great way, you know, and loved by the members and welcomed. I mean, I just spent three and a half months in Utah when I drove out there staying with members or missionary parents or friends in the church, strangers who didn't even know me would open up their home and allow me to have a place to stay. So to me, that's not a church organization. That's a family. And that's exactly how I see our church, is we're a huge family, and we are there for each other. And the culture is so unlike anything I've ever experienced, where, you know, if if I need help, we're a 24-hour church. If if I need help, you know, at 2 o'clock in the morning, members are here for me. Friends are here for me. Yeah. Well, and um, you've talked about in your book, too, that, you know, your experience isn't necessarily everyone's experience. I mean, I I have several gay or lesbian or transgender, all of that friends that grew up LDS that didn't have that same experience. I mean, maybe we could kind of talk about that a little bit in how you feel like, um, you know, I don't know, their experience in the situation you did with your parents in the other legalistic way. What do you think makes your experience so much different in a way? I think it's all about timing, you know, because I think our members and our church is, you know, I can be a full member. I can be a full. So being baptized into the church, I wondered, you know, what would happen, you know, if I found a person that I wanted to live my life with, or what would happen if I, you know, uh, wanted to pursue a relationship with a man. And I didn't know all the answers when I was baptized, but I have to say that after I was baptized and I felt, and I've lived on both sides of the track now, I've lived with, you know, I've lived being gay, I've lived, you know, being with the man before, and now I, the one thing being baptized, I didn't know all the answers, but when I was baptized, it's like that feeling was just lifted away from me. I no longer had the desire to be with a man, and I just didn't really have that feeling anymore. And I, and these were all things I didn't have answers to. And I was, all of a sudden, it's like I was living this new life that I had the Holy Ghost, and I had Heavenly Father, and I had all these wonderful members that I could call upon, and I would have a great support. I'm not saying it was easy. The adversary was coming after me big time, but that's because he didn't want me to do good, and he knew that there was a different path for me, you know, and that was something that I know it hasn't been easy for a lot of our brothers and sisters. I I understand that, and I respect that, and I've heard, 
you know, I've listened to thousands of stories from members or families or, or, or church members, and, and I, I want to bear their burden with them. I want to let them know that they're not alone, and I'm here. You will always be a fellow brother or sister to me. You will always, you know, be somebody that, you know, I will consider a friend, you know, that I will always be there for. Yeah. Well, and do you feel like, I mean, uh, obviously some of the, um, uh, I'm trying to think the best word to use, but discrimination, I guess, would be the word I would use, um, that parents have for maybe their gay sons or daughters or lesbian sons and daughters is more of a traditional thing? Or do you feel like, I mean, uh, I had a friend say, well, I feel like uh, the general membership of the church is really open-minded, but it's like church leadership that's really pushing this anti-homosexual view. Um, do you feel like that it comes from just our culture? I mean, I grew up I grew up in the same era as you did, where, you know, Matthew Shepard, for instance, we talked about him, you know, he was yes. brutally beaten and all of that just because uh, there were men that said that he was coming on to them or something. I mean, you know that that's possibly not true because of your experience. But I mean, that was just somewhat of the culture of our world, regardless of if you're LDS or you're not. Um, and it's changing now that we're seeing like you're just a regular person who you know, just like with me, with my depression, I, I don't want it. I wish it was not there, whatever. But you're not somebody who asked or chose to be a gay or whatever. It's just, Correct. you know, what you're doing with it. I mean, I want to know if you think it's a cultural thing or if you think it's being pushed by, you know, that leadership. That's probably a hard thing I, to I, answer. I think, uh, actually, I know that the leadership of the church is trying to um, find a, a common ground for us. I don't think it will be exactly what the LGBT community will want, but they are, you know, there's been so many changes, you know, with, you know, the fact that they launched in 2015 mormonandgay.lds.org with stories and, and helplines for, you know, coming out and how do you come out and what are the appropriate, you know, how do you do this for teenagers or adults is huge for the church. And the fact that they've embraced me as one of their own, and they're saying, you know, and I don't like to use this, this terminology, but I want to say, how can I help you? What can I do for you? I don't want to be about me, but how many times I've heard, Dennis, we need you, or Dennis, we need more LGBT children sharing charity and the pure love of Christ. So I, I have seen, I guess, the opposite of what, you know, Al has experienced, Al Carraway, you know, where she was discriminated against because she had, you know, visible tattoos and stuff. When people find out that I'm gay, they want to ask me questions. They want to know more. They may not know all the answers, but they're willing to listen to me. And so that's something that is a completely different opposite of what she's experienced. Any of the hate mail I've gotten is from members who have left the church. It's not from current members. Well, yeah. So I haven't, you know, experienced a lot of, I haven't experienced any members really saying, um, you're evil or, you know, yeah, this is a sin. Because when I was baptized, I wear a CTR ring on my wedding band. And I wear it as, you know, I thought of when I was baptized, I made the decision that I was going to be like a priest or a nun in the Catholic faith, they give up a life of celibacy to be married to Heavenly Father. And so I saw it as, this is what I'm doing. And a lot of people, you know, um, we don't know the plan of salvation, you know, what Heavenly Father has in store for us. You know, will he leave, you know, somebody who was just about to get sealed to a husband or a partner in the temple 
you know, they're killed in a car accident, you know, the day before, you know, will God leave them alone for the rest of life? We don't know the answer to that. You know, we, I have a friend who's 78 years old, and she's single, and she's never been married, and she's a member of the church. Will God leave her single the rest of her life? We don't know that. So we don't know what he has in store. Only God knows the answer to that. Yeah. And I find that all the leaders in the church are really receptive to my story and are really receptive to the fact my devotionals or firesides or stake center talks or family home evenings, they want to know more. Yeah. I don't mind sharing it. Well, and that's what I, I guess I love what I'm seeing with the church is that we are coming to an age where um, we want to have people that are more real. I mean, that's definitely what you bring is that you are a real person who is being honest about who you are. And I don't feel like that's a church thing. I feel like the fact that we hide things is actually, it's a very, um, it's just within our culture, regardless of what religion you are, and that we're all becoming a little bit more real. But I'd love to kind of go back to the fact you said that you're getting more hate mail from maybe members that have left the church. And I, I feel like I, I had a friend recently that was excommunicated, but was just trying to come back into the fold. And you can't get online anymore. I, and I think it's probably the same way for LGBTQ, that if you're LDS and LGBTQ, anyway, the acronym, <laughs> if you're LGBT, um, you can't, there's no, like, okay. <laughs> there's no like, uh, there's not the stories of, yeah, I'm, I'm gay, but I, I still believe in the church. I mean, you don't see that online. And that's what's missing is that community. You know, do you want to talk more about maybe yeah. the community that they could find yeah. of, of members who are strong, but still, um, you know, have, yeah, go ahead. So being in Utah, I met hundreds of people that are gay and celibate and full temple recommend holders and are living by, you know, my friend Ben is 37 years old and he came out as gay when he returned from his mission and he just got a stake calling. You know, he's now serving on the stake, you know, the high council, and he's been openly gay since he came back from his mission. There are people that I know that have left the church and that are returned, you know, uh, because they feel the latter days are sooner than later. And everybody that leaves doesn't deny that this faith is being true. But when they do leave, nobody leaves just quietly in our church. They leave kicking and screaming. Mm -hmm. And I think that has a lot to do with the adversary. The adversary is pulling on you, saying, you know, you need to make noise. You need to make a ruckus over this. And it's, it shows that it, it undeniably shows that our church is true. So if you are going through a faith crisis or you feel like you can't, you know, handle something or you want to leave the church or you don't want to go to church for sacrament, know you're not alone. Know there's other people out there that are feeling that way and know that there's a support system in place that you can call on and that you can have, uh, you know, members be there and, and support you if you're going through this, because we're a church of prophecy and revelation. And I mean, even just at last general conference, I had front row tickets and I was feeling how close I was to general authorities and to our prophet. I could not deny, or I could not have that feeling going to a Billy Graham crusade or going to the 700 club or, going to, you know, another evangelicalist or, you know, fundamentalist yeah. or a pat, you know, no other religion could give me that, that feeling that I've had, that I have, excuse me, being a member of our church. 
And I know that the adversary is going to throw wrenches on our roadblocks and our tribulations and our trials. And I know he's going to, you know, try to put doubt in us. You know, he's, he's done it with me with the book, you know, and, you know, because I was very adamant. I didn't join the church to write a book. I didn't want to write a book. And I ignored it. I ignored that prompting. And even when, you know, I saw the cover and it had the rainbow flag on it, that was not supposed to be the case. And I said, I don't want the rainbow flag on, on a church-owned publisher. And they're like, well, we prayed on it, and that's just what we came up with. And it's two puzzle pieces. One is white, and the other one is a rainbow flag. And they said the white represents the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and the LGBT puzzle piece represents the LGBT community, and we're showing there's a place for both. And I'm going, oh, I embrace it. Yeah. You know, so, like... I'm okay with this now, but yeah. I just needed to have that clarification yeah. to why they did that. Yeah. I just wanted to be very clear, too. Like, I was telling one of my friends that you don't ever see that positive side online. You only see that fight. And I think it was Maxwell that said, Nilly Maxwell, that said that there's people that leave the church, but then they can't leave it alone. And um, and I think that there's a lot of truth to that. Like you said, like you leave kicking and screaming. And then, you know, regardless of if they've been excommunicated, if they're LGBT and have been shunned, if they're, you know, all kinds of things that that's what we see. We don't see the the positive of the people who have stayed, who don't understand, who are walking by faith, you know, um, to know that they're still loved and there is a place for them in this church, regardless of, you know, if they can be married to their same sex, you know, spouse or whatever within the temple. I would like to hear that too. I, I do have another friend. I don't know if you know Josh Cyril. He has a YouTube channel, but you know, he was, um, have you ever heard of Josh oh, yeah. Cheryl? Okay. Uh, yes, I have. Yeah. Okay. Well, and, and I'd love to hear what your feeling is. I mean, we're not condoning him uh, for choosing to find a, a spouse either. I mean, you, you're saying you're choosing a life of, of celibacy, but how do you feel about LGBTQ that don't want to have be alone, but don't want to be enter into a fake marriage, you know, of, of somebody I, of the same sex. Know, I totally support them. I totally support them. And the reason why is because I have to say, what would Christ do? What would, you know, Christ spent his time with the leopards and, and the thieves and the people on the margin and the less fortunate. So we have to say to ourselves, what would Christ do? Yes, I totally support you know, um, people who want to have, you know, a same-sex marriage, or if you tell me you want to leave the church today, I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to ask you why, but I will be there for you as a fellow brother or sister or friend, because that's what Christ did. And it's leading by example. And, you know, you never know when they will come back or when they will, you know, feel the need that they need this gospel. You never know. Look at Tom Christofferson. Mm -hmm. You know, he was married to a man, you know, he was excommunicated, and he wanted to come back. But our prophet and apostles, when they went to his mother's funeral, they never shunned him or put him down, and they always hugged him and said, we love you, we miss you, you know, we're always here for you. They always led by example. And I think a lot of times, you know, people often ask me, you know, how do you feel when somebody speaks badly about, you know, gay and lesbians at the pulpit at General Conference? I feel fine with it, because I think that 
a lot of times what happens at the pulpit is, you know, people come across very stern and very strict, and it can be intimidating at times. But I know that they're speaking, that this is God speaking, and that it's something that uh, I don't have an issue when somebody talks about us at the pulpit. And it's just because when I've met with these people privately or individually, they are completely different. They have a different spirit about them, a different energy, a different glow. You know, it's like they're used to speaking to 17 million members at the pulpit. They're so different when you're talking to them one-on-one. You know, it's like they're very compassionate, understanding, loving, caring, and they want to know, how can I help you? What can I do for you? What do you need from me? And it's not this very stern, you know, opinion that you've heard at the pulpit, and it's different. So I think, you know, it's the same with my mission president. If you remember reading, my mission president was very stern in my interview to be baptized. And I'm going, this is not what I remember. You know, I've heard he was very fun and, and, you know, outgoing and vivacious, and yet he was very stern and very abrupt. No, that's his job. And there's a time to be fun and charismatic and so on and so forth, and that's not during your baptismal interview. You know, so, <laughs> so I think, you know, now that I know my mission president, he's been released, but, um, you know, a year ago in June, but because um, he served him and his wife, but Mission President Miller and his wife, Sister Miller, they just, I just went to a reunion a couple weeks ago in Provo with all the missionaries, and, and he couldn't be more compassionate or understanding. Or when I did a fireside at a Pasadena Steak Center in California, he drove three hours to surprise me. And I was truly surprised when I saw him in the audience. And I'm like, oh my goodness, you're a part of this presentation. I have you in the PowerPoint slide. <laughs> you know? So, um, yeah, it was, it's just, it's, it's great. It's, it's an amazing experience. Well, and do you think the sternness comes from the fact that, I mean, in your book, you talk about how you're not trying to change uh, church policy. Do you feel like that that's where some of the sternness comes from? I mean, I'm just going to be very honest, but I have, I have felt sometimes that the LGBTQ want something that I can't even have myself, that they want their cake and eat it too. You know, like they want to have full activity in the church, but yet they want to be able to have the lifestyle of promiscuity and stuff that I can't even have as a, not that I'm, you know, not that that sounds horrible because it sounds like saying that heterosexual should at least no, have that. I, I get, I, but, I, but uh, chastity is a, a thing that's expected of me to be a card carrying, you know, temple worthy person. Yeah. Do you feel like that that's maybe where the sternness comes from that they're getting hit with all these people that want like, you know, yes. you should just accept me yeah. with whatever I'm doing right now. And, and yes. And you know, another thing I noticed Rebecca is being in Utah is that, you know, um, my missionaries say I'm Utah friendly <laughs> out on the East Coast, and I guess that's really a term because, you know, when you get paired up in on the East Coast with two missionaries from Utah, they go, oh, another person from Utah. But apparently you get fed better if you have a companion from Brazil or Asia because then, you know, people are excited that you're not from Utah. And But not on my clock as a ward mission leader because I make sure your missionaries are – my my missionaries are fed well, but – Yes, that sternness, I think, comes, but also in Utah, people don't know. Like, I had the perception before I came out that I had to be, 
you know, uh, fat, ugly, or not able to get a woman to be able to, you know, that's why I was gay, is that a lot of people have those same perceptions, I think, because they're used to, you know, the gay parades and, and stuff where people are marching, you know, wearing tutus and dresses and screaming for equality and, and all this stuff that they meet. Or being somebody highly like sexual and suggestive out in the street. You know, they're, they're flaming, which yeah, is scary yeah. to people who have and, children. <laughs> yes. And, you know, I have to say that is scary. You know, it's like when you see that, but, you know, in, in all defense, I know what it's like to be that way because I, converts have passed. And I used to be this person that was, you know, would march in, you know, equality parades and all this stuff. And, and that was the old Dennis. And that was something that, um, you know, so I can understand where they're coming from, but there, I don't have the need or desire to do that now. It's like it's the Holy Ghost took that away. And it's just something that um, I think a lot of that is, is societal, meaning that, you know, there's a lot of, misconceptions about LGBT brothers and sisters because people, you know, it's not easy to, you know, have a relationship with someone of the same sex and be accepted. Or I wanted, you know, you read, I wanted monogamy. I wanted all this stuff. And I had one heartbreak after another, you know, um, and I just, I think that has a lot to do with the societal norm. People didn't accept us. So it was a lot harder for us to find the love that we wanted, like the monogamy, like my grandparents had and my parents had and, and stuff. So, but that's what I wanted and it didn't exist for me. And and it's okay because Heavenly Father had a different path. Yeah. And once again, that might change with the culture because uh, so many LGBT had to be hidden away where there was no monogamy in the I mean, you you hear very few stories, at least um, in the culture until recently. Do you know what I mean? Like, so maybe that will even change where you see more more commitment. And, And maybe that's what scares people about that aren't homosexual or whatever that they don't understand, like. They're not all just out for a, a free for all, you know, <laughs> whatever that they they're deeply yeah. committed people who who want the same things as us to just be loved. And, um, you know, to have that close relationship with somebody that they feel like they can trust. And maybe that's like I said, uh, that will get changed with a little bit more perception of more people that aren't just out you know. Well, my, my friend, my friend Becky McIntosh, um, she's kind of a, a trendsetter for the LDS and LGBT community. She was featured, on, she's featured on our mormonandgay.lds.org website and called the McIntosh story, the McIntosh family. That's a great and, story. I'll have to add it into the show notes. Cause... Well, yeah, she's, she's, I, I would love to get her on here because she I, I plan on it. <laughs> I definitely and, plan on and, asking um, her. Well, I'll give you her contact information when we hang up, but um, I'll text it to you because um, her book called Love Boldly is about embracing your LGBTQ loved ones and the youth and their faith. So, I mean, her story is just, I mean, at first when her son came out to her in a, a Facebook message, you know, she's like, well, Sean, do we need to, you know, do we need to send you to the doctors and get you some testosterone or some shots or injections? You know, she didn't know. And like now she, you know, the ending of her book is her son's marriage to another man. And it's a beautiful story. 
And she is a perfect person that leads by example and is true Christ-like behavior, is that she loves her son no matter what, and she has faith that it's all going to work out. And I just, I love Becky. Like, she's like, you know, the mother that I so desperately want, you know, in the sense that I don't have that relationship with my own parents. Not now. Well, not only are you gay, you're LDS. I mean, you're just one more stack of you yeah, know I, things that they can hate about. I you. got it all. Yep, I got it all going for me. You know, <laughs> so according to my parents or other people that are non LDS, they, you know, they're just you know like you're what you know like, <laughs> and that is true. I mean, when my friends found out that I became a member of the church, they were like, "You're not." You know, they're going to have you married off to a woman in no time. They're going to put you in conversion therapy. And, and I'm like, no, they're not. You know, members are amazing. They, they, they're so loving and accepting. And they're like, Dennis, you're nuts. Well, that's why when I was asked by a dental authority to write the book, and he said, I, that's what I want the title to be. It's called, Is He Nuts? I'm looking at him going, you're nuts. I didn't join the church to write this book. <laughs> so... You never know. You never know. Yeah. Never say never. When I'd love to talk, I mean, you never, you never wanted to be an LGBT activist. I mean, you gave that up in the 90s. How do you feel like you're kind of marrying that now? I mean, you're marrying the LGBT activism with that faith in the church that you have. You yeah. know, how is that? I mean, because you talked about the all of the firesides that you're doing and stuff. It does seem like you're being somewhat of an activist, not, not to change policy or whatever, but definitely to maybe just to let people know that, you know, you can be a member of the church and be gay. And Yeah, it's more, so, you know, people, yeah, it was very hard for me when I was, you know, people would come up to me, you know, on August 14th, the day after my book came out, I was in the mall in um, South Jordan somewhere, and, and I walked into the mall, and I heard, oh, is that Dennis? Is that the Izzy Nuts guy? Is that the gay convert? And all of a sudden, people wanted my photo. And then I was like, wow, what is this? This is weird. You know, and then I went into the Apple store because my MacBook had a screw loose. How Alpopo is my MacBook uh, had a screw loose, and I'm called the Easy Nuts guy. <laughs> so I was talking to the woman who was looking at it, and I made a comment. I said, how funny is this? I'm known as the Easy Nuts guy, and my MacBook Pro has a screw loose. And she goes, oh, my friends just started telling me to follow you on Instagram. Are you the guy who, the gay convert? And, and she's like, all of a sudden, everybody, it's the gay convert. And I'm like, just like, wow, this is not what I expected at all. So it's been an adjustment period, you know, but I always bring it back to you. How can I help you? What can I do for you? And I think, or I know the message, you know, there have been firesides that I've done or devotionals at stake centers where people will email me afterwards and say, I had no idea you had written this book or you were on the bestsellers list or, you know, our church has published this book for you or what, you know, it's just, I don't share that in my firesides. I make it about how strengthening your faith, strengthening your testimony. There was an article that was written in Third Hour called, First this gay man wanted to protest our church, now he's a member. And a comment was made from a guy in Texas saying, I never thought, he goes, wow, in capital letters, I never thought a gay man would strengthen my testimony into our church. And he's a full temple recommend holder. So you never know who these firesides are going to touch or these devotionals. And it's even people that don't even know anybody gay or don't think they know of anybody who's gay. 
they still get something out of it by hearing, if I can deal with the adversary as much as I do, anybody can deal with it. And also know you're not alone. Well, and I'd love to get into maybe some points that you feel like the message of your book is, but I feel like that that's one of them that I got out of it is that I don't have to be, you know, the stereotypical LDS woman that I can be myself and still be loved and accepted in this culture. Um, And I think that that's a big stereotype that we've got to overcome is that you don't have to be the Utah friendly Mormon to be a Mormon or to be LDS. Yes. Yeah, and give us some ideas of what you feel like, like that feedback that you're getting about this book, like the messages that it's, how it's resonating with people. I never expected the warm opening arms. I mean, there are like 17 reviews on Amazon, and they're all five stars. I'm going to have to do that. that. (laughs) I'll have to go on and do that, too. I never, never expected that. But this makes me want to ask you a question. You had told me earlier, and I never asked you why, but... You had said the end of reading the end of my book, you were in tears or you were listening to the audio version. Do you mind me asking, Rebecca, why you were in tears? I think because, you know, I saw your development go from like this person was telling me that God loves me. Is that really true? You know, you went through that questioning period. I think like we all do. I mean, I've done that throughout my whole life. I told you I've struggled with depression and that that's been a, a, an issue of wanting to be different, wanting to be whatever and, and coming to the point of accepting myself and realizing that God loves me with or without my mental health issues. And then when to hear you say at the end that you had come to that, that you could believe that for yourself, I think that there's still a lot of people struggling in that faith crisis that haven't came to gaining that, I guess you'd say a testimony that God does love them for themselves. And to hear you say that, that you've reached that place, I think was just super powerful that I want that. You know what I mean? I want to feel that. And I want other people to feel that too. Yeah, I agree. agree. Thank you for sharing that because it's, you know, one of the messages I say is if you don't understand somebody, you know, ask them questions. And through asking questions, you know, uh, just listen. And through listening, you become more Christ-like. I struggled with, you know, as a child, I was dyslexic and I'm still dyslexic. You know, it's something that, you know, I never wanted to, you know, I, I use voice dictation and, and, and Siri. I rely on that way too much or even doing emails. And But I think about even, you know, Sunday I get really sick and I know, oh my goodness, Dennis, you are crashing. You need to, you know, you're not feeling well. You're running a fever. You know, you're, you have hot and cold sweats. And yesterday I was in bed shivering and going, Dennis, you got to be ready to do this podcast. Dennis, you have to be ready. And this morning I was praying, do I do this podcast? And you know what came to me? It was Al Caraway. All the time, she didn't want to do a fireside, or she was sick, or didn't want to drive to do, you know, a, um, a women's uh, YSA talk, or, you know, do a devotional or whatever. And, and I said, Dennis, you have to do this. You have to make this happen. And I started to feel better a couple hours before I, you know, yes, I'm still sniffling and I'm still <laughs> sneezing, but I'm able, my voice is able to be understood. And, you know, that's the power of God. That's the power of our gospel is, you know, the adversary may throw roadblocks and say, you don't want to do this, but we got to find a way. We've got to find a way. And that's what I did is, you know, I, I, I don't care how sick I am. If there's a meaning for me to be on this show today, there's a reason and there's a will and there's a way. 
and just ask God for help and say, I, I need you. And that's exactly what I did this morning. And of all things, Al Carraways talks about when she didn't think she could make it to do a fireside or she didn't think she could make it to do a devotional and she was going to cancel. I just got Dennis, you have to do this. And that's where we are now. I'm just going to ask you just two more questions. Where you get your faith, too, I think is extremely strengthening because, uh, you know, I've been a member all my life and I feel like your faith just in the the small amount of time that you have been a member is just, I mean, it is so powerful and you can feel it. Um, I could feel it through your book. I, I can feel it through all your posts that you have this incredible faith. I'd love to know how you cultivate that faith. You know, what kind of habits you have that help you keep that going? Because um, like I've, I've been a member for 40 something years, you know, <laughs> and, and I still struggle with that. I'd love to hear so, like what's your secret. I tend to be very humble what's my secret is I tend to be very humble. I always, when I meet a new missionary that I'm working with or serving in my area, I say, I'm the greenie. So you're the one that's in charge. And, you know, I'll follow your lead because I don't know everything. I'm still learning stuff. And I've read the Book of Mormon, but I don't just read it. I also ponder it. And by doing that, you have to immerse yourself in scripture study, because when you start to fall away from that, that's when you start to lose your testimony. And that's when the adversary can leak in. Or when I do notice that the adversary is leaking in, I have something called a buddy system, and I can text 40 to 60 returning missionaries or people in my ward or stake or friends in Utah, and the first person to call me back, it's usually at like 2 or 3 in the morning, Connecticut time, the East Coast time, that I have this. So it's about 12 or 1 a.m. your time. And and that's and the first person who calls me back is when I'm on the phone with them and it's like adversary be gone. Or I find that there's times that I'll call my bishop or stake president and I'll say, use me. I need to be used. I need to be doing the gospel work. I need to be, you know, um, when I feel that the adversary is coming on or when I feel there's doubt, when I immerse myself in other people's trials or tribulations or challenges, that's when I get my faith back. So I say hashtag missionaries for life, because we all need to be missionaries. And I've only had 11 convert baptisms being a member of the church. And, you know, people say only 11. Well, that's a lot, but I still feel that there could be a lot more. And that we can always be leading by example and sharing the gospel and doing random acts of kindness and setting ourselves apart from other churches, because people can see you know, the kindness that we have or the love we have. And they go, I want to know more about that. And that's how we can share it. And that, that's what I do, is I'm constantly immersing myself in, in lesson plans with the missionaries or home teachings or gospel learning, because I don't know everything in the Book of Mormon. I don't know everything in the Holy Bible yet. And I never will. I, I, this is a lifelong learning path. So I always have to be willing to grow and willing to learn and always see myself as a greenie because I am, you know, going on my third year of being baptized and I was very blessed to have my endowment. I had first yeah, like presidential approval. Week before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, I never, I didn't even know what that was. I had to, when my state president emailed me the letter from Utah and I looked at it, I had to put my glasses on and go, or he sent it to me in a text and I'm going, what? I know that's, oh my gosh, this is, presidential approval. Like, <clears throat> I didn't know what it was. 
but you have to trust in Heavenly Father. You have to trust in the, the agency we have, and you have to trust in, you know, the authority above us. And the Hartford Stake felt that I needed to go through, and I have to trust in that. And there was a reason for it. So you feel like some of your, I mean, you have to walk by faith a little bit and believe some of the members around you that have, is that what I'm getting from what you're saying is that even though you may not understand it, like your faith has grown just by trusting them to partake in the service that's been asked of you. Is that part of it or? Yes. Well, I was talking about the, the, like the bishopric and the, Mm -hmm. the stake presidency, like, you know, they hold the keys for our stake and our bishop and, and that when they give us a calling, like when I was first given the calling of ward missionary and then ward mission leader, I was going, oh, God, why me? You know, I've never served a mission. What I should have been saying is, God, what do I need to learn from this? And the answer is everything, because I didn't know what pass-along cards were. I didn't know what, you know, zone meetings were, district meetings. And that was all being a, a, a ward mission leader that I learned what this was. And it taught me the first time I ever kneeled in my life in a circle and prayed was at a a missionary zone meeting. And I was almost in tears because I don't have a family that we can kneel before bed and pray together. I do it myself. So the first time I ever did it with anyone else was with the missionaries. And I was almost, I was in tears because I, I was just like, this is so powerful. This is so special. This is so sacred. You could feel the presence and, and the Holy Ghost and Heavenly Father. And I think this is what I needed to learn from this calling. So I trust in my callings. You know, I trust if there, there's a reason why, you know, if you're given a call into primary or to, you know, um, work in whatever, you have to trust in that. And, you have to, and if you don't know what that is, you have to say, God, what do I need to learn from this calling? because there's a reason for everything. Wow. Just just your even your trust. I mean, it's amazing. That was one of the the other questions that my friend has like how can we know that we can trust the church and, you know, is it really worth it to do so? And I think you answered that in that question. So, thank you. That was awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I've gone on with this is well over an hour now, but so I'll, I just wanted to know, do you have any maybe parting advice for our listeners and then give us your contact information, how more people can find out about your story and hopefully get your book and read it. Well, you know, I wish I often joke and say, I wish my book was free in gospel apps, you know, uh, our library, because I really do want everyone to read it because it's definitely changing. Even when I listen to it now, after writing it, I'm going, that wasn't me that wrote this. You know, it was definitely the Holy Ghost. And I almost, sorry, I just was feeling, but my, my parting message, I guess, would be is, is don't ever lose faith. Don't ever give up and know that there's a structure and a chain of commandments in place in our organization that makes us a family and know that you're not alone if you're going through something that you can reach out to somebody you're you know a family member a loved one and if it's not exactly what you want for if you don't get the right answer you know reach out to your bishopric or you know somebody in anybody anybody you feel compelled to through prayer or going to the temple it's just um know you're not alone and that there is a huge support you know, circuit in place. And think about what I just experienced spending three and a half months staying in Utah for nothing, for living with family members. I only had to pay for one hotel and that was driving home. And then the other one was comped. So um, it was just, 
incredible. So I guess that's my parting message to you is you're not alone, no matter what crisis you're going through, whether it's depression, anxiety, fear, you know, um, you know, sexual identity, anything, you're not alone. And that uh, you are loved. Well, and I want to echo the fact, I mean, I know I mean, this is what my heart is telling me to tell people is that there is a place for you in God's kingdom, regardless of, you know, your sexual orientation, your race, your gender or whatever that I know. I mean, I like we were talking about, we don't know what heaven's going to be like, but that's what my heart says is that there is a place for everybody who wants to be there. You know, if they want to be there, I don't think God's going to keep them out based on any of that. Anyway, go ahead with your contact information. No, no. I, I, I think that's a perfect closing is to end that that way. And my, my website is Dennis Schleicher. It's D-E-N-N-I-S. And then my last name is S-C-H-L-E-I-C-H-E-R dot net. And I do list on there when I'm doing firesides, if I'm doing family home evenings, or if I'm doing ward talks, I don't put them on there because too many people show up. If I'm doing um, stake center talks, then it will be listed on there. But other than that, I don't list the FHEs that I'm doing or the, the ward talks because too many people show up. And I, we can't, we can't, I don't want to turn anybody away. So, yeah, that's my contact information. And, and I love your feedback. And if you post a review on Amazon, I, I'm able to comment on all of them. And thank you for it. If you post it on Siegel or Deseret Books, I'm not able to comment, but I'd still love to see him on there. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. All right. We've been speaking with author Dennis Schleicher, who is the best-selling author. It's actually a best-selling book now of He is Nuts, Why a Gay Man Would Become a Member of the Church of Jesus Christ. You can find his information at the website DennisSchleicher.net. I'm going to be sure to post like Instagram, Facebook. I mean, I just want people connected to you because like I said, I want to feel that connection that we're supposed to have. Uh, you know, in heaven now here on earth. So I'm going to be sure to post all that information on our website as well. But thank you so much, Dennis, for coming on and joining me, talking to me about all of this. I love being able to learn from you. I appreciate it. Anytime. And thank you for your honesty and your candidness. Thank you for listening to The Luminous Mind. Music featured in this episode from Scott Holmes. To learn more about our podcast, check us out at theluminousmind.net.